Welcome back to Deep Thoughts, ladies and gentlemen. So you know that I have discussed the threats of AI and how AI could be used for, I guess, eight years now. And what I want to do today is sort of adjust and recap because uh, the funny thing was is that eight years ago, we didn't have this new... <laughs> barrage of incredible AI engines out there, plus a bunch that are coming that we haven't seen yet. Of course, man's first instinct is to fight it. And as I said in the episode where I covered sort of AI art and my buddy Colin me, who has one of the most established careers in Hollywood as a lead designer of <laughs> the movies he's worked on, uh, are in the top 10 grossing movies of world history. And he can't get a job that lasts more than 45 days currently because Hollywood is trying to use AI art to put all those dudes out of business. I'm happy to say that after using AI art generators now at nauseum to recreate my thumbnails with my face removed from them or to get the kind of generic, boring thumbnails out of there so you can kind of see what the episode's about plus a byline on there. I've, I've definitely understood more about the limitations of that engine, although it is utterly phenomenal. Just Dolly, D-A-L-L-E. And again, I can't afford a million dollars worth of handcrafted thumbnails, which would be the minimum cost for that sort of expenditure. But it's good to get in and figure out what it does so you have an educated opinion. It's sort of like hating any new technology and not knowing what you're talking about. Without a creative mind, even the AI doesn't know what to do. You have to steer the AI. You have to reject concepts. But sometimes it'll, and it'll hit it out of the park sometimes. But it's still based on things that I have told it to do. I'm still entering the concepts. I'm still guiding it. I'll put in the episode name, a parenthesis, and I will explain in a paragraph. Generally, the concept I'm trying to establish in the image and then guiding it through what should be happening in the thumbnail. This is not automatic. And so I think that a lot of the quote-unquote scabs, they're going to put the professionals out of business. One, you're going to be able to sense the reduction in ingenuity but in the end, it will catch up. They will simply modify things to catch up. But those people will go back into business. It'll just be different. And again, Hollywood is scared to death of copyright issues. And so after they generate the images where normally human beings would imagine things, they have human beings come in and redraw sort of the final concepts so that they own it lock, stock, and barrel. But that's hardly the major pie of what we're going to be talking about today. My uncle, who taught me, my gosh, how to program back in 1981 when I was like 12 years old. I think I was 11 still. It was the summer of uh, 1981. He taught me quantum physics. He taught me martial arts. He taught me all kinds of stuff. Crazy, amazing dude. He started working for a subsidiary of a very heavy government agency. 
And he would come home with these stories by 1983, 82. But he told me that we were reading license plates from space by 1982. License plates from space. And you still have a blurry image of your backyard in the 22nd decade of the third decade of the 21st century. Now, part of that could be a liability if you're laying out naked in your backyard. You can't have Google taking pictures of boobies and having it so you can zoom right in. And then all of a sudden someone's privacy is completely compromised. So maybe that's the reason why they hold off a little bit. Even in a city, you can't do it because someone's got a penthouse. Someone has some privacy somewhere. The other one he told me was that they had figured out by the probably 84 how to read your mail, handwritten mail, with scanners. Even if you trifold your letter to grandma and have four or five pages trifolded, they could read the addresses on the, on the envelopes, which was already handwritten with no knowledge of how the script was actually chronologically generated, although I'm sure it was tracing and figuring that out. But supposedly the scanning technology was capable of basically x-raying your letter and deciphering the ink on various levels and figuring out what you were saying. But the fourth or third one he told me was something that has stuck with me my entire life. And it's a very simple example, which today is no big deal. But in the early 80s, it was like, what? Yeah. Hand recognition in an envelope is, for me, quite frankly, uh, an amazing accomplishment. But the third one was that AI had gotten to a point where you could give it a probability question. And I think the example he gave me was that you have sort of an intersection on a major highway where it's kind of slowing down. It could be a fork, right? And he said, if a car, you could tell it, you know, if a car is traveling this distance or in this vector, this direction, this speed, and a semi is coming from another area, and you set up some uh, situation where maybe someone isn't paying attention. I'm not sure how you tell a computer about that. Maybe there's ice or weather or something. And he said that if you ask it, Will the semi hit the car? These were his, his, the word he used meant more to me than any other word out there. And it may not mean as much to you, but he said the computer will come back and say probably. And that's just probability and statistics, but it's looking at all of the different vectors of all the objects, the, the circumstances, the friction of the ground, the weight of the semi, the weight of the car, maybe the Average aptitude of the drivers. Pretty impressive. Now, conceptually, I could definitely see high school students being able to create a program to generate that same outcome if that's if you knew that that was the outcome that you were you're going you were going for. Would it would it most likely hit the car? Would it, you know you could write a little program back in basic days and get that to come out. But the fact that this was being generated with an artificial intelligence neural net in the mid '80s when you have I have no idea what the computer megahertz were like for the government. We were resting on maybe 5 to 15 megahertz in microcomputers, meaning like Commodores and VIC-20s. VIC-20, I think, was a 5 megahertz computer, I think. Or excuse me. Yeah, megahertz, I think, is right. 
But even if they had 100 megahertz, that'd be extremely fast, plus memory, plus all this other stuff. Now, when I was in the database industry, the way it worked was I got a job working at a company that was that had made a piece of software that could talk to all the back ends. So you program your front end in one, what they call a fourth generation language or 4GL. C++ is 3GL, assembly is 2GL, and binary is the first G, right? First generation of talking to a computer. And so you could write a program in the 4GL and it would compile down partially to a 3GL, but then you could talk to all these other back ends. But I became very quickly the senior tech that was doing tech support for these database programmers. Now I had already worked and moved my way up through the company that you know invented TurboTax. I started out in uh, tech support in October and I was in engineering by December and I was handling my own product uh, within six months of that because I knew how to program really, really young. So I can tell you that the difference between tech support for a tax product where someone is literally asking me, where's the any key? That's a real thing. I had multiple calls. Well, it says push the any key. Where's the any key? They thought that, you know, when CDs came out, they literally thought it was a tray for their drink. Uh, People saying the mouse was never going to take off. Yelling and screaming at me, I need command equivalents to everything. Funny, funny, funny. But when I got into the corporate database SQL backend stuff. Now I got clients talking in Oracle and Sybase and Ingress and uh, all kinds of legacy backend stuff. My clients were gateway computers. Uh, they were Los Alamos labs. Now, if you've seen Oppenheimer, you can appreciate what happens at Los Alamos. I was taking numerous calls. I had uh, NORAD would call. At least these gentlemen were identifying themselves as this. And here they're trying to get tech support on how to use our product, but they can't tell me what they're actually trying to do. So we always had to talk in a fake project. In some cases with Los Alamos Labs, they were talking to me continuously about a fake product. You know, pretend I got a bookstore, you know, that kind of thing. Obviously, they're not programming a bookstore at Los Alamos Labs. The reason I bring that up. Uh, One is to sort of give you an idea of how far back, and that was like 1991, how far back my career goes in working with these advanced technologies. But I remember uh, the guy telling me in 1991 that he had a gigabyte drive, and it was causing an issue with trying to write files to this system, which was way out of our sort of responsibility. But I remember asking him, I said, you have a gigabyte drive? And he says, yes. Now, remember... Right now, we've got computers maybe with, maybe the company has an 80 megabyte drive. I said, well, how big is that drive? And he says, well, you know, like the average size of a, you know, IBM PC uh, box, which is like a pizza box times four. He said, it's about that big. I'm like, oh my God, you know. That gives you a little bit of gauge of how far in advance just a basic lab worker would be programming for these very clandestine organizations, right? So as I hear people say, yeah, because we have a knee-jerk reaction, we say, ah, well, the government's 50 years ahead, the government's 100 years ahead. What we have to realize is that that, in some cases, is very, very true. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the secret space shuttle, the little miniature space shuttle they keep sending up, which has all this secret stuff in it, that thing looks like a piece of crap, you know, but what's inside 
might be actually really interesting. I think it's safe to say that different divisions have different levels of advanced technology. I think our aviation is at anti-gravity, 100%. I think that, again, uh, Tic Tacs and Gimbals are, you know, American-generated products. I mean, I say America probably loosely because there's probably some other weird shadow government that's actually paying for that stuff. You know, we are amazed about the SR-71, and that thing was decommissioned in 89. The second we saw it, a Mach 3.5 vehicle, it was decommissioned in 1989, right? I woke up to its maiden voyage out of, I think, Port Wynemi or whatever it was. I heard the sonic boom. I was like, whoa. And 59 minutes later, it's in New York. That's crazy. That's a decommissioned technology. And we're supposed to assume, I mean, some people assume that it doesn't go much further than that. But you have Aurora projects where it's supposed to be, you know, you know you'll have things like Mach 14. Well, I don't have any problem believing Mach 14, but what is 8,000 miles an hour in a split second and then stopping on a dime? It's way more powerful of a technology than just simply going fast. We are being given uh, artificial intelligence now. ChatGPT is the number one contender right now. It was an open source, open AI organization. Microsoft has bought at least 70% plus of the organization, so it's pretty much a Microsoft product. Google has lied about Gemini with this video of where it had almost like complete op, you know, uh, object recognition where people were doing their hands and stuff in front of it. Now it's come out that they faked that. It's really bad to fake things to the public because then trust goes down. The Aesop fable, the boy who called Wolf, right? Elon Musk says he has one that's coming out. But the later and later that these AIs come out, the more and more regulations are, are stepping up to the plate. The EU just debuted a kind of a guideline for censoring AI. Because you have to be extremely careful, right? A lot of you know about the project where they took a lot of the moon photographs and put it through AI and said, are these real? And they said, the AI goes, absolutely not. Now, what you don't know, maybe unless you've watched all my episodes, is that Hollywood professionals also took those moon photos, put it through their software to figure out how many light sources were on each one of the photographs, because that's a post-processing standard that is used in Hollywood to reverse engineer the set off a photograph. And they were saying, oh, there's at least five separate light sources. Not only does it know there's up to five in some of the photographs, but they know exactly where they are, how many feet back they are, and how many uh, lumens are coming at the actual targets. They never, ever thought this would ever come to bite them in the ass, but it's here now, which is why, unless they wipe us all out, they're going to have to admit at some point, yeah, we faked it. Okay. But AI, Gemini and the X platform is going to have to hurry up and fill up their coffers with a library technology, with the library database, excuse me, before these regulations come down. For I'll give you an instance. When ChatGPT or the GPT engine went out to figure out how to program, they sent it a, a product, uh, a website called GitHub, G-I-T-H-U-B.com. What that is, if you're not an engineer, it's a repository for the world. You can develop a product and you can use the cloud to store each version of your code. The beautiful thing is the government can always watch what you're doing. They can raid those databases if they didn't set it up themselves and they'll literally know every line of code you're writing. 
So if you're writing something really mean or you're trying to create heavy, heavy encryption, they'll know how to crack your stuff instantaneously because they'll have your code, your source code. The only way around that is to buy software where you can, like Perforce or something, put it in the bowels of your company and then lock that down so it doesn't touch the internet. And it always has to go in behind a door. I mean, literally, these computers are not only in these IT rooms, but they're physically locked down. You can't physically get near the computer unless you have multiple key cards, maybe even some turnkeys. That'd be the only way you can get out of it. But the second you defeat the supercomputers of the intelligence agencies, you will have black suits on your door faster than you can possibly imagine. And there are international laws, as well as national laws, that you will have broken that you didn't even know existed. My good friend that I mentioned in one of my last episodes, who was a, uh, an alphabet agency programmer who programmed the AI that's inside of the Star Wars platform that is in space and in a lot of products that can be ejected into space very quickly, meaning you could deploy a big heavy aircraft that's got a rocket in its belly. And what that does is it fires off, uh, if there's a some sort of impending global thermal nuclear war, as they would say in the movie War Games, which is actually written about my friend. I know that sounds that sounds crazy, but the screenwriter lived next door. And when my buddy went off because he got caught and was forced to become an engineer for them, the two, his father and that guy were just literally meeting on the outskirts of their property. And the guy says, uh, where's your kid? He said, he got caught. Blah, blah, blah. But he was an upper, upper class family, so no one was actually going to physically touch the kid. Graduates from Dartmouth. Super freaking gifted, let me just say. So that dude got all the details and went back and wrote War Games with Matthew Broderick uh, finally getting the lead role. That's about one of my best friends in the entire world who just passed. But I would go to his house and, you know, talk to him. They programmed all these satellites in Lisp which is the first AI language out there, and it's still used to this day. It's very friendly to the AI platforms. But if what my uncle told me with the word probable or probably was impressive, this is uh, several orders of magnitude even more, uh, you could say terrifying, in that these satellites are up there with the ability to start World War III, and so their programming can never get to a point or its logic of thinking constantly about how to prevent World War III trips over into a logic that says, well, if I attack first, then they'll attack, and then I'll attack again, and I will have prevented World War III. So I'll start World War III, and then I'll stop World War III. Very simple logic problem that they had to solve for. So AI has been implemented every single area that it could be implemented in. During this, uh, this letter movement that happened during 45's administration, which swept up tens of millions of people in it, there was this uh, rumor that went around. I did a whole episode on it called Project Looking Glass. Now, it split in half, but like, actually it didn't split in half. It split into two groups after that got dropped. About 98% of the world was thinking of that group, thought, oh, it's a time travel machine that they figured out. 
Baron Trump was this character in a book in the 1800s, blah, blah, blah. And I kept telling you guys, it's nothing more than an AI program that is essentially theorizing and role-playing the entire planet. Every human that's ever touched a computer device and touched the internet and put any characteristic of their behavior online is inside Project Looking Glass, and they can fiddle with what they think you're going to do if they do X, Y, Z. Because they know so much about you. They know how you run your mouth online. They know how you act behind the scenes. They know what products you buy. They know every credit card swipe you've ever done, every e-purchase you've ever done on your telephone. The only way to have completely kept out of that database is not only to pay for absolutely everything in your life with cash, but to never let anyone else vouch for your purchases in an electronic way where you're being identified as purchasing a particular thing. Meaning you could buy something and no one knows it was you. That'd be the only way to keep out of that. So Project Looking Glass is probably a GPT-type engine to nearly infinite levels of magnitude up. To the very maximum probability and analysis uh, mathematics that could, could, that could be derived from the data. Meaning there's no theory that is missing from that database about your behavior versus their actions. So you wonder why there's factions in the world that are constantly trying to lead the kids into this lunacy, trying to lead the adults that are gullible with low IQs and low vibrations into a bunch of agendas, because what is happening with that segment, if you bite off on any of that stuff, they'll know if you have a neuroses about being poor, even though you're stinking rich in a $5 million house, but your brain thinks you're poor. You might be a 45-year-old guy, but you, you act online like a 12-year-old girl. They know all this. So it's a brilliant sort of chess game that they're playing where they're trying to push people out of being able to be uh, safely controlled during a cleanup phase of the world such that the computer keeps saying, oh gosh, there's a, there's a new demographic of people as of this morning that will not... Go along with yesterday's predictions because a television program went on Netflix. A television program went off on network television. HBO, they're all fighting, and, and, and especially Disney. They're trying to fight all these agendas into your family to infect your kids to hate you, to hate the world, to get them to worship their demise. So imagine Project Looking Glass can figure it all out but the data keeps coming back worse and worse and worse as they keep publishing all this stuff. People keep asking me, you know, why is Hollywood making all these bombs? Well, it's a financial bomb, but it's being underwritten by countries that want us to, to die, like China. China is at war with the United States. It is. On every conceivable level they can, from metric tons of fentanyl being pushed onto the streets, plus the new drug dealers that are willing to cut fentanyl into everything and kill people. I mean, these people have no concept of a soul, no concept of a God. But they also pay for the film industry. They pay for the TikTok replacement of, of Twitter, right? So they don't care that Twitter got bought by Elon Musk. They have pushed all their algorithms into TikTok. And because Twitter was never really known for video, 
it kind of had it. It definitely got popular towards the end, and it was a great manipulation mechanism. It's over there in TikTok now. I got guys that don't really pay attention to my show. They think they understand what I do, and they're just keep they just keep telling me over and over, man, you got to get on TikTok. You got to make little tiny videos, put on TikTok, and I'm, they don't understand the game that they're playing. They don't understand the cesspool they're swimming in, and it's so subtle. It's so incredibly subtle. They used to do it with television shows like Cheers, where they would make Ted Danson, uh, Mr. Malone's character, teach you that getting married was for suckers. As much as they will have a couple episodes out of 100 that kind of try to juice up, uh, oh, marriage is actually okay. Norm doesn't hate his wife as much. Still, Norm's always at the bar, always making fun of his wife. Always making it look fun to never have a family, to never procreate, because that was the agenda in the first place. It's not the first show to do it, but it's one of the most popular shows in the 80s that absolutely controlled the narratives of homes. I think my personal family, my mother and father, had those agendas not been pushed on television and movies, would probably have weathered through what eventually broke them apart. Now, I had said in one of my last episodes where I talked about this, I can't remember exactly which name it was, that... What you want to do at this point, and I now believe this even more wholeheartedly now, is that you want to get very close to your enemy. You need to understand what GPT can do through the chat interface API. You need to figure it out. Now, I've had a few folks tell me, again, that, oh, GPT is not that smart. And it's like, well, it's all in the, in the person's brain that uses it. If you're just chatting into it uh, nonchalantly, you don't really uh, take time to explain things, you're going to get crap in, crap out. But once you sit down and understand how much you can say in that little chat field, you can get anything out that it knows. And it is a, so far, for the human mind, it has obviously an inexhaustible amount of data. You will never be able to understand, put in your brain what it has in its brain. But you don't necessarily need that. You know that's the case. You go to a college and you look at all the buildings and all the students and you know you will never know what all these people know. That doesn't freak you out. So it shouldn't freak you out that ChatGPT has all their brains in one brain. Now, there's going to be two halves to this, right? There's going to be what Gemini from Google is gearing towards, which is, I think, a lot more important than people think if they can get what they have faked in a demo to work. And I think that that's just the way it works. Someone just created this video internally as a goal, as a demonstration of their goals for Gemini. And some idiot thought it was smart to publish it on the internet before those capabilities were actually finalized. And so now they look like giant liars. They'll get it. Don't worry. Okay. But let me give you two major differences because there's a whole wing of AI that's for you and me, a reference database of inexhaustible solutions Again, I am programming in the most advanced version of Kotlin language for Android mobile devices. If I ask my question properly, I, get, I can get literally cut and paste code out of this browser and put it right into my code. Now, I, I take the time to understand what it's doing so that the next time I just write it myself or copy and paste a copy of it, whatever, redress it for whatever I'm doing. 
I've used it for five different programming languages. I've used it for all kinds of history. And I've also tricked it into admitting that rockets won't work in space. Absolutely hilarious. You have to fiddle with it before it realizes that Newton's third law of motion doesn't actually work in a vacuum. It will admit it eventually, but you have to punch it because it's going to give you boilerplates back. And then you just keep taking its, its answers and keep reiterating, well, if that's the case, then this. If that's the case, then this. Once I asked it, you know, what, was the, what would be the numeric value of a vacuum? Zero. What times, you know, what number times zero, or what, what does any number times zero equal? Zero. Okay, so then we went back through Newton's third law of motion, and when I started talking about the force, trying to get a reaction in opposite equal and opposite reaction, it finally realized, oh, I have a zero in the equation, therefore you will not get the movement that you're seeking relative to space itself. Very funny. You have to be clever. Now, what GPT is missing categorically is an educator. They have not, to my knowledge, figured out a way to replace an instructor so I'll give you a, for example, I'm over at Udemy all the time. I've got probably 12 classes going at any one point in time. I'm taking a very advanced course on C++ programming for Unreal 5 Engine. I have an instructor. The guy is amazing. He's taking me through what a human needs to know, step by step, brick by brick, mortar by mortar, so that I understand exactly how this engine is laid out, how it thinks, and how I can take blueprints, which are, it's kind of a, a symbolic programming, which is amazing, and push anything I want back to C++ and then have the blueprint system understand it. And I'm sorry if that's a little technical, but just hopefully get the gist of what I'm saying. The educator is not replaced yet. So professors aren't replaced. They'll get there. But there's a lot more to being a professor than simply regurgitating material. I've been an educator since the age of 24. You get a class. There's a whole bunch of different people in that class. There's a whole bunch of, uh, it depends on the time of day. I used to have to teach after lunch, and I would have sleepy people. If the room isn't ventilated properly, if the HVAC isn't running new oxygen into the room, I will have people literally running out of oxygen. That's why we yawn. That's why we yawn after I mean, anyone who's having a conference meeting in a room after lunch. Yeah, I mean, you usually close the doors because there's something private going on. If you don't turn on some air, everyone's going to fall asleep. And the ability to remember what you're saying is negligible, right? So an educator is going to have to have some recognition of the people in the room. But it will eventually get to the point, because of Project Looking Glass type technology, that as 10 people walk in the room, it will have the bio on all 10 people. It will know your IQ. It will know how you've contributed to the world. It will know how you take a particular statement eventually. This might already exist in some back skunkworks project, but it doesn't exist in the forefront just yet. So that's good news if you're an educator. And let's just remember, everything the AI does is based on the performance of a human being. So all this AI art wouldn't exist if artists didn't exist before the AI. It has studied millions and millions and millions of pieces of art trying to figure it out. So what's the other hemisphere? Because I just told you, the GPT is sort of this repository of fact 
that you can get stuff out of. And when I say fact, I mean like coding. Coding can't be full of propaganda because it, if it were, it wouldn't work, right? They can't tell you one plus one is three when it's not. It just won't work anymore. So that's, that's pretty much solid black and white information over there, which is great. Can't hurt you. you just build your brain. Why not build your brain? It's generally free. Now, ChatGPT has, uh, before I move over to the Southern Hemisphere, I want to make a distinction here. Currently, in December of 2023, they have two engines, 3.5 and 4.0. I pay the 20 bucks a month for 4.0. It's a lot slower. It's a tremendously slower because 3.5 is so fast, it's almost scary. But 4.0 has a better understanding a better contextual understanding of what you're saying as you type in you can make short references to previous conversations just like you would as a human being between two humans but it also has the api to the image generation so 3.5 can't create pretty images based on your concepts 4.0 can and it's just walking right over to its dolly engine and having that built there is a limit to the size of image that it will create but just know that when you see it on the screen, it's actually a lot bigger when you download it because it's showing you a crunched up version to fit in this ridiculously small ratio on the screen. It's really dumb. I mean, they've got a whole lot of real estate, even on a 17 inch laptop, you were losing 40% of your screen, just blankness on both sides of the response. I don't get that. Okay. What's the other side? The other side is demonstrated in the fake demo of Gemini. Gemini is different, at least as it's been asserted, and you have to assume they're going for a different thing. And I saw it immediately when I started seeing what this demo really was. If they demonstrate ChatGPT to you, it's going to be someone typing in and you're getting a response. And you just keep having clever little conversations with it as the demo. What Gemini did was film the desktop of an office, wood desktop. The kid's pushing all kinds of post-its in there. He's drawing some squiggly lines, and he's having it narrate on top of, hey, it looks like you're drawing a line. Oh, it looks like a duck now. Oh, uh, you made it blue. Well, there's not a lot of blue ducks in the world. Then he brings a little rubber duck that's blue. Oh, gosh, it's funny. I just said there's no blue ducks, and you got one in your hand. And he squeezes it, and it squeaks. And he, he has to tell it it squeaks. Apparently, it doesn't have audio recognition, but he goes, this one squeaks. He goes, oh, well, if it squeaks, it's probably made of rubber. This went on and on to the point he could make gestures with his hands, right? You know, he could do the dog thing, right? And it says, oh, it looks like you're making dog uh, shapes with your hands. It looks like you're making butterfly shapes with your hands. Now, the, the articles that came out that said this wasn't real had two factors that are really not that important, but we'll mention them. One, they said that uh, all the delays of its response were cut out. So it looks like it's fluently talking back to you like any one of us would talk to each other. And the second one was that a lot of these features don't exist yet, or at least they haven't been exposed to the public. Now, no one's ever touched this thing unless you're in some weird beta. So I haven't seen it work at all. But what is the unique characteristic between GPT functionality and Gemini's demo? Gemini's using its eyes. Well, that's very interesting. The second you get into AI, I mean, I figured this out at 14, 15 years old, where I was trying to create my own Turing consciousness on a 64K Apple II computer. You realize that you can make it read articles. And again, we didn't have the internet. 
I would have had to have found text files and put it into the system, and that would have been very limited. There's a, there's several different avenues of how you teach an AI how to interact with human beings. You want it to learn a language fluently, and so there's a lot of predictive probability about the next word that you're going to say or the next appropriate choices that the next word could be, depending on what goal you're trying to go to and the statement you're trying to make. You see a bit of this demo in Westworld from HBO, where they're looking at a, a paper-thin sort of iPad tablet, and as these uh, these replicant things, these hosts were talking, they would see everything that they were saying being predicted, and that would tell you that you're a robot if you're able to talk to it, and it knows everything you could possibly say. Well, you now know that with most of these sort of precognition systems, when you're typing in Word right now, it's predicting the next possible word you could say. You type three letters of a word, it's it's choosing the most logical next word you could say. So that's part of that AI. But Gemini is aimed at being the brain of a robot. That's the huge difference. There was a video that went around, and again, these could be fake, because I have been to enough video game conferences and other sort of corporate software conferences where... People got caught doing fake demos. Some of the funniest ones uh, are kids that would bring these camcorders to GDC, the Game Developers Conference, or E3, which is the huge entertainment conference that happens in Los Angeles. If you've never been to an E3, I don't know if they're as amazing today as they used to be, but they were the reason to go uh, get a ticket from somebody. You had to be in the industry, but there's always a way to get your your company in there. You can You can make a a DBA, a doing business as company, get checks in that, that say I'm a video game company and you could have checks, you could write a check to yourself, cash it, and then use that check to get a ticket to E3. It was funny. Luckily, I always was either in electronic arts or I have my own company. But they have these robot conferences now where you'll see these demos and you see them bit passed around and you really have sort of Remedial automatron, you know, hydraulics and various motors and stuff actuating facial expressions. I mean, the thing that it's interesting is I, I doubt a lot of you are blown away by this, but they'll just have robots sitting there and making facial features, right? Eyebrows go up, mouth and all this other stuff. And 99 out of 100 are the most heinous looking replicate, rep, um, facsimiles, I should say, of the human face. I mean, it's really just sad. Disneyland in 1955 had just as good robotics for things like Pirates of the Caribbean, which came out in 65, I believe. But the pres- Hall of Presidents and all that stuff, way better, you know, almost 60 years ago than the crap that's being pushed around in these uh, conferences. But the people who make them have never done it before, probably didn't think they could, then they did. Then they were like, oh my God, I'm going to take this to a conference. I'm going to pay $50,000 for a booth and embarrass myself on the internet. But one of the videos that just went around was a robot uh, supposedly looking at itself in the mirror and having these expressions like, oh, gosh, was that me? You know, now you have to understand that it's probably a pre-programmed response to make it look like it's actually recognizing itself when it really doesn't have any self-awareness. So imagine in probably 10 years, if we don't get wiped out again, GPT will become ubiquitous as a sort of data bank for a robot. 
if I, I think it'll take another 10 years at least before one, they can make a robot that can fit in your house, that that's affordable, that's got an energy supply that is way beyond anything that we have today in terms of what we are actually have access to. But it'll be a Gemini engine that actually makes it capable of moving around your house and actually having an engine to take in all of the objects in the room and understand their purpose and how to interact with them and what the usefulness is based on a current situation, meaning maybe the TV's up too loud or maybe there's a boiling pot of water that's been sitting there for 10 minutes with nothing in it. There's a fire, there's whatever. And it will be able to assess all of that information and respond to it accordingly. But what are these demos doing at these conferences? They're attempting to, I, it's, I think it's, what it's actually doing is freaking out society. In the end, they're trying to prove that they can mimic the human form. Let's look at this from a business standpoint. Let's just say you had $100 million in the bank and you are a robot specialist and you have, a, well, you have a robot specialist team and you have an AI team with access to these APIs. First, you have ChatGPT to have a conversation about things. You've got the Gemini engine to handle interacting with the world, looking at their own hands and going, oh, that's me, you know. The robotics group is going to work on sort of making sure that this robot uh, doesn't kill somebody, doesn't crush them, you know, a coffee mug, that it actually has some sensors in its fingertips, can figure out pounds per square inch, all those sort of mechanical necessities of a robot. But if you're trying to get a product out the door with your $100 million, at least a prototype that's affordable, maybe it's five grand, maybe it's 10 grand, maybe it's 20 grand. Remember when people bought televisions for their houses, it's a funny conversation you have with people in their 70s and above. You go, when did your family first get a t TV? It's always an endearing story. I just asked my buddy, who's just, he's in his early 70s, and he said, 1951, he goes, my mom went and bought the TV. My, my dad, uh, it was 50 bucks. And uh, he said his dad came home and his dad was livid, but of course he warmed up to it very quickly. But the guy was making... I think 50 bucks a month. So imagine that. Take your whole salary and uh, maybe it's 40 bucks a month or something like that. It was a whole month's salary and maybe a little bit of change. But now let's say that your robotics and AI team get together to start mimicking the human face. But you're a CFO. You're a chief financial officer. And you, you understand what the hell you're trying to do here. We're trying to get a product out the door so this company doesn't fold and he walks in and sees this demo. The dude's going to go, what the F are we doing wasting our time with facial expressions that lift the eyebrows and mimic all kinds of expressions, being happy, being sad, all this kind of stuff, when you don't have a robot yet that you can just push into a room and have it be of assistance to the human occupants of that living quarters, that domicile, right? They don't care about that yet. And the funny thing is, with all of these conferences, it seems to be 100% emulation of the human form and not the business of making sure a robot can actually do anything useful. Now, how many of you saw C-3PO, the 
beautiful golden or, you know, robot from Star Wars and had any problem with the fact his face didn't have any expressions. I don't think, I've never heard anybody complain about it. But now, how useful is C-3PO? Hell, how, how useful is the trash can, you know, R2-D2? Pretty useful. But C-3PO, he had hands, man. He could grab stuff. He could talk on a little mic. He had McCain arms, right? You don't need that stuff to get what you need out of robots. And I think the first company that continues to move forward with the robotic form, with a Gemini-type system, whether or not Gemini is actually the one that makes it work, who knows? I'm willing to bet that there's fully programmed uh, robot AI that is capable of doing what we needed to do. A bit more like District 9 type robots, Chappie robots, the movie creator had tremendous examples of it. Why would they make a face emulate human form? To simply make humans feel more comfortable with the robot itself. If you haven't seen the movie creator, just came out this summer, this fall. Uh, the sad thing is it's out of the theaters. The super sad thing was uh, I went to see it twice. One of the theaters I saw, sound system was amazing. You have to see this movie with a bitchin' sound system because it is probably 30% of the movie's punch is the bass and the, the acoustics of this movie. I'm just, that's a little side note for you. But what happened in this movie, and I, it, this doesn't spoil anything at all, this won't even really tell you what the movie's about. But they had two stages in robots that the public saw. These more chappy-type robots where they had basically heads that looked nothing like human beings, which my friend said Mead, he made very elegant robots, and he had a policy. He said that um, robots in the future will not have human heads. They'll have this sort of wild-shaped curve. You look at any Sid Mead's art, and you see a, a sort of a big sort of metal character. Look at the head, and if the head isn't a human head, then that's Sid telling you that's a robot. And he made them elegant and beautiful, and he basically said, we need a distinguishing attribute about these beings so that they don't get confused with humans. It's sort of, you're on that side, we're on this side, and it's illegal to come in looking like the President of the United States and faking that you're that person. But in Creator, they have those District 9 type bot robots, and then they, they tried to juice it up and made, these, uh, made a business of selling the likeness of your face. You could, and now with AI, it's kind of a silly, silly notion that human beings would make money off of uh, selling their actual likeness because AI can generate anything. It can't right now. They've, when they wanted to fake, when agencies want to fake people and government documents, passports, whatever, they have systems that will just generate them infinitely. And you can't tell the difference. But that was to make them more acceptable to the public. And of course, in the movie, it was, it was indistinguishable in the face. But in order to make sure that you still knew it was a robot in this creator Jap anime world, it's not an anime movie but it's shot like one. It's, it's really brilliant. If you're an anime fan, this movie will tickle your, your senses because you'll see, you know, CG rendered scenes that you have seen in a bunch of animated movies of Japanese origin. It's extremely well done. But what they did was they cut a cylinder out right around the ears. 
it was about probably about a three inch gap and it's a cylinder and you can see all the way through the head so even though you had in this fictional world human being type looking robots you still had this big hole in the head and so you knew that was not a human being it'll be interesting to see if we as a predictive programming model go through those exact same evolutions i think we probably will but here is the thing that i have said on point and i've alluded to it several times in different episodes but here's the thing that you need to keep we need to put it in your brain right now and i and i mean this like paul revere riding on a horse saying the british are coming the british are coming the rate of acceleration in this technology is exponential and the curve is now going straight up. When an exponential curve goes straight up, what do you measure at that point? The only thing you do is you measure the vector growth of each iteration of time. And we could just say yearly, but it's going up so fast at this point it's actually probably quarterly. So four times a year, we could take a temperature of how fast this technology is growing. Now with GPT, the back end from OpenAI, they are going in increments of educating it of the last several months of information. So when I first started using ChatGPT4, I was a little shocked to find out that it had capped its knowledge at November 2022. And I'm using this thing in about May 2023. That seemed like forever for, for me because I'm in technology where documentation is, is vital. And when they release a new feature, it won't know about the new feature. But it just recently updated to early this year. So that's going to continue. But the gap between the last time it updated and today is going to shorten and shorten and shorten until the point it's live. Now it takes a long time for them to scrape data. That's the only reason why the gap is so large. But once they get enough servers live and they find out where their bread is buttered, right? They're going to say, okay, GitHub is, uh, GitHub works in two ways. This place where it learns how to code. They told the ChatGPT engine, get into GitHub and figure out how to code in all the languages on planet Earth by looking at humans that have posted their code on that system. Now, there's what we have access to and what the intelligence agencies have access to. We have limited, they have infinite. They have everything that's on there and we have what we call public repositories. If you use ChatGPT in a public manner, meaning everything that you check in is immediately available to the public, I believe to this day it's free. But the second you have a company where you don't want your code out there for the world to see, you have to pay for the repository and then it's secret. You have it to your employees, everyone has a login, they add you to the account and all this other stuff so you can see it. So imagine that's still a great place. Imagine public code is still a fantastic place to find out how to code. They'll just line up all these servers until they overwhelm the system without creating almost a DDoS attack without trying, with the login in so much that there's an issue. They need to do a, a I think they have done a deal with uh, GitHub now, because GitHub was complaining that it, the strain on their servers was in incredible. But every AI that comes up, 
you know, the X1, Gemini, they're all going to have to grab that same source of code. So you could have someone actually as an agency grab a complete copy of it, put it on a back server, and now everyone else hits the back server. Or they can just ship you a copy of what's out there. Here's the, uh, here's the April 2023 copy of GitHub. Boom. Enjoy yourself. The big question is, how's it going to affect the average man? Meaning mankind, ladies. Well, I don't think it's a big stretch for you to envision the robots we're talking about. Your C-3PO's out there with a Gemini engine completely in version one. Meaning it can do your laundry for you. You could see that being a huge problem, but that's going to be a while before that actually arrives. But take your average fast food restaurant. They've already tested this, right? They've already done this a couple different experiments around the world. Your average McDonald's, your human flesh uh, company, right? Go look it up if you have any problem with that statement. Well, <laughs> you can build machines that just basically find the burger in the data, you know, in the storage container and they bring it out and they heat it up and it's absolutely perfect. They put all the ingredients on, absolutely perfect. By the time you get it out of the machine, it's perfect. It actually looks more like the photo than at any time in your the history of your life. You don't have any problems talking to a human being that doesn't speak your native country language, having an issue, someone having an attitude. You just order it on your app. Maybe you speak it into a speaker, no touch of any kind. You have a transaction where it takes your credits and there's just a window where it pops out and you can get it out of there yourself. That will be coming a lot sooner than I think people think. It's going to be nothing. The only thing that's going to stop that is society complaining to the companies that this is not good for humanity because you're putting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people out of business overnight for each area that you consume with that solution. There's Whole Foods and, well, it's Whole Foods for sure. Oh, and Amazon destinations now where you can walk in and you have to completely retinal scan yourself, hands, you know, hand palm print yourself, use your telephone, whatever. There's really no human beings there. If there are, they're probably just guards. But you come in, and the second you take it off the shelf and put it in your cart or your whatever container of choice, you've already bought it. Boom. Now, I don't know how returns work and all that crap, but those facilities exist to this day. Canada is helping these companies put us in these sort of concentration camp Shopping centers, right? A lot of people refuse to shop at them. We'll see. We've seen those kind of things in the past fail. But it's only going to be us that determines whether or not that's accepted by society. But believe me, there's a force coming in to pressure that being the only solution to your eating pleasures, right? Even Because right now we eat with pleasure in first world countries. We do. We go eat what we want. If we got the money in our wallet, we can afford it, we go eat it. That's a luxury. But when you have a, a certain amount of food you must eat before you die, that's what they call a strategic resource. So the pressure is going to come into the point where you're going to be nailed down financially to the point where the only thing that you can afford or that you get given to you by universal income possibilities or universal food outlets is your strategic resources. Only what keeps you alive. There's no more flavors anymore, or there's that flavor. It doesn't matter. 
You know, if, if I asked you today, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? You said vanilla bean. I said, that's great. What's your favorite entree? Well, I like steaks, but whatever it is, I build your favorite, like, uh, what is it? Death row meal, right? But that's all you get to eat for the rest of your life. All those favorite choices you had will suddenly be the last thing on earth that you want to eat. So you can spend it however you want. If you're not aware of what's going on and you don't communicate with your neighbors about, hey, I don't think this is great. What do you think? You know, you'll always have the majority of people in this current day and age going for perceived convenience. It's going to be made possible by artificial intelligence. Now, the big concern is that if you have a job that is based on rules, say accounting, you're an accountant. Well, there's accountants that keep books, like controllers that go between companies and keep it all balanced, get the receipts, put them in a database. Then you have sort of tax accountants. All of that's based on rules. Look at what uh, Intuit TurboTax has done to America, at least. I don't know if it even exists in Europe. You guys should let me know. But you just get an interview process, something that I harvested out of the employees at the last second. I gave it the name Easy Step. Isn't that funny? Personally. I had a guy chase me from uh, Southern California to Northern California. We met out in front of a, we met out at like a, a, a fountain or something at the Marriott Hotel in San Jose, California. And he was like, you got to tell me what, what you were designing because you didn't leave any documentation. But I just laid it all out and the dude didn't forget a word. It's pretty funny. Everyone had the idea and tax preparation software and DOS had this interview process for years. But those jobs are going to be some of the very first jobs that disappear. And it might come through an advertisement on your television. It might come through advertisement on your mobile device if you don't watch television. Hey, man, uh, do you want a bulletproof accountant that's 100% accountable, knows all the tax laws? What tax return guy knows all the tax laws? I can tell you right now, zero. The dude that helped found... uh, which was SoftView was the company's name. Macatax was the original name of the product before it turned into TurboTax, which was just a name swap for the technology. This guy named Glenn, I'll just give him that name. It's his real name. He knew so much about the IRS tax code that the IRS had a hotline to him to figure out how to resolve issues for giant problems. But he's the guy that knew the most about the tax code of any human being I've ever met on planet Earth. But now, that unbelievable capability of his to know that much tax code, the IRS is calling him. It's no big deal anymore. Of course, it's going to be a while before companies take the leap and put themselves on a liability of that. Now, with I'm just going to give you this as an example. With our tax software back in the day, there was always the question, what if we get a calculation wrong in one of the forms? Well, the attorneys would come in and say, look, This is a tool to solve your tax return issues, right? If you you are ultimately responsible for checking all the calculations and making sure that your deductions are right, we're simply trying to help you. It's sort of a smarmy way of getting out of the liability of misleading people because, come on, it's not like that's an easy one. You'd have to be literally a tax accountant to audit your own stuff, right? Anyway. That's going to be sort of the legal policy for each one of these solutions that starts invading your business world, your personal finance world, 
So just keep that in mind. At no point will you absolve yourself, indemnify yourself from the responsibility of the outcome of using any one of these tools. So no matter what anybody tells you, it's BS if they say, uh, you know, that, that they're taking on all the liability. It, it would literally have to be your government saying, but they'll, they'll still find a way to say it was your fault. You misinformed the software. Therefore you get this penalty or whatever. Educators. We talked about this earlier. Well, there has been some evolutions in education. When I was working on my uh, high-definition 3D LED theaters, we had a company come in and said, you know, hey, we, what do you think about, what could you do for schools? And so I went off and thought about it, and I said, okay, here's what we could do. And this is really aimed at, like, disadvantaged areas of the world. But now imagine you've got a professor, a human being professor, and he or she is literally one of the best educators on planet Earth, just like these online classes where the educator's really good. A lot of them aren't. We film them with 3D cameras in a setting. We make a set. There's no tables or chairs or anything. We film them up against a, a sexy wall of a whiteboard or whatever they need. And they teach their entire class and in front of an LED, or sorry, 3D camera. Then what we do is we post-process all that to make it look even better, color correct it, whatever. But we can also add 3D elements inside the video. So if they say, here's the hydrogen molecule, and all of a sudden it's like this cool 3D molecule that's you know hovering over the professor's hand. They're not seeing it, but they know it's going to be there when they need it. And they can just make it up while they're teaching, as long as they understand the technology and how we post-process things. Once we post-process the movie of the class... Can you imagine walking into a class, and this is made 3D merely to make the, uh, the adaptability better. You could sit in a chair, wear your passive 3D glasses, which when you use LED technology, the nits that come out of these, which is the LED version of lumens, it's so bright that the glasses are almost completely transparent. And now you have a 3D professor in front of your face with the most amazing reference material going on. And you sit and watch the class. You could do this at home if you had the screen. And we can obviously press it into 2D if they need it. But the idea is it's the finest hour of that professor. Then the way the professor gets paid for the rest of their life is every single time that class is broadcast, they get some money. So you could actually become a great educator and retire the second you can film the subjects that you know how to teach. And the kids are getting grade A Harvard level educations from the best professors in the world. Instead of you meeting someone and going, oh yeah, I, you know, I dropped out of college or I, or, I, or I passed college, got my degree, but you know, I had like a bunch of bad professors. And I'll just say this as a digression. I used to hate bad professors, man. But one of the cool things about bad professors is it teaches you how to get inaccurate partial data and or and go find the real solution, which is how it works in the real world, right? You get like employees and associates that just are uh, full of it, not very good at what they do. And then you, uh, you go find what you need to know. And it kind of teaches you how to really exist in the chaotic world that is life, right? But here's the trouble that's coming on the, on the horizon. So that was my solution for the question in 2016, 2017, when we were getting bombarded by people, right? 
about how this technology could be used in their industry. Now, imagine now that CG can make the professor uh, artificial intelligence voices. Well, he can take the script and read it perfectly. And of course, this is all hand adjusted by directors and people who just know how to educate. And they'll, if, the, if the language got weird or something, they could rerun the language, they could re-render the professor until it's perfect. And now you cut the human being completely out of it, but it's based on a great professor. So now imagine you're a professor at a prestigious college or a good college, and, or you're, you're a crappy college, but you're a great professor. And they, sometimes they film your lectures. And now that's being used as a basis to put you out of business. Hmm. Engineering. So there's different types of engineering, right? There's software engineers, there's mechanical engineers, electrical engineers. I'll say this. To the degree that the engineering division that a person's in is more black and white, more cut and dry, and I, it also, I'll surprise you, it's not software. Software, okay, if you're writing a, a to-do list app for your phone, yeah, you can just say, give me a to-do list app, and it'll go, bloop, there you go. What color do you want it? It'll be done in two seconds. But once you have an industrial ISO 9000 plus uh, factory floor and you have a, a pipeline that's extremely custom, you're going to be talking to that AI for years before you're going to get what you want. I don't mean years literally, but potentially as you develop your understanding of your own business. So There's going to be a lot of human interaction to make a complex piece of like business software. It's going to go fast, though. As soon as you can utter it out of your mouth and it understands and you use the right syllables, it's going to figure it out and you're going to be done with that part of your app. But humans are flawed, so it's going to be a lot of patchwork. But now let me give you an example of where what you might perceive as an irreplaceable engineer being replaced in microseconds. And that's a pun, actually. Take a Boeing engineer. Could be even a skunk's work engineer. And you tell an AI, once you teach it aerodynamics, once you teach it what's capable, what's possible with jet engines, and you got a whole other group using AI to figure out how to make a turbine run even hotter, better, or way more advanced technology, sort of an ethero-electromagnetic engine. Once you make the bits and pieces, then you can tell the AI, look, man, I need a plane, a jet, that travels X amount of uh, miles per hour. It needs to have X amount of people inside. I need it to land on this particular type of runway. Or if it can't land on these runways, I need to know how big the runway needs to be and how, how to construct that runway when that big giant vehicle lands on the ground that we don't crush it. But as soon as you can get that data into the AI for aviation, do not be surprised if this thing can synthesize the entire vehicle in seconds. Not only that, but show it to you physically in 3D, and you can start running tests on it, but it's going to tell you, don't worry about it. It flies right now. It flies right now. I'm using the seats that you told me are really comfortable. I'm using all the electrical off-the-shelf components. The only advance beyond that would be there's some sort of anomaly where the piece doesn't exist yet, and the AI goes, well, based on the engineering of the current computers and the current wires, fly-by-wire technology or whatever problem it's dealing with, it just synthesizes it and goes, I think this will work. I mean, it works on paper 100%. These things won't break. They can take lightning strikes. They can take stressful landings, really bad weather. Oh, and by the way, the 
GPT aviation engine, which will get a new name, will fly the plane for you and you won't have to do anything. I mean, I don't know why we're not flying by wire from literally takeoff to landing, considering that nearly every single plane crash since the 80s has been pilot error, right? But don't be surprised if those high-end engineering jobs get liquidated. I don't know. It depends on this curve, this exponential kind of skyrocketing curve that's not stalling out. They're going to get replaced. And the only thing that's going to happen is human beings are going to be auditors. They're going to be the actual people that maybe continue building them for a little bit longer to the point these Gemini robots will come in and they'll have all the patience in the world. Once they get it perfected, they'll have all the patience in the world to make sure that every single rivet is equal to every other rivet. Every single sheet of metal is down to the azimuth perfectly thick all the way through. Because you don't have to have physical tests as much as you used to, right? Was it the 777 and up? They're all computer simulated all the way through. They just build them and they work. And the only anomaly, the only, the only challenge is getting the thing constructed the way that the computer said. Believe me, corporations are looking for ways of creating product and getting the human out of the mix. They have to, they go on vacation, they get benefits, all this other stuff, it all gets wiped out. And this has been in Twilight Zones, I think as early as the early 60s, maybe even 59, where they were dramatizing replacing an entire factory. And the punchline was that the guy that was so keen on firing everybody and bragging about his robots got fired himself, and he was replaced by this modification of Robbie the Robot. So where does man fall in this mix? I don't want to be just doom and gloom for you, but those of us who are in our 50s and, you know, and we're technical and we can jump on this right now, we will literally ride this last phase of humanity out without probably being replaced. Uh, we, we probably will be replaced in our lifetime, but we won't be replaced before we would naturally leave the workforce in general. But the, our kids, our grandkids, oh, it's a whole different world. If the world gets to continue to exist, of course, right? There's all kinds of plans to mess with our health, right? How many of you uh, have looked at all the products that could possibly exist and solutions that exist, and you realize that there's a difference between functionality and artistry? Those of you who are following the Tartarian movement, where we're looking back just 100 and, I guess, 20 years, and we're starting to find that, oh my God, these cities are all around the world were the most ornate, gorgeous cities, the buildings, even an ugly building was amazing compared to today. And you're like, where did all of it go? Why do we have these warehouses now where we go see movies and that kind of stuff? I mean, it's a warehouse box, right? They're trying to juice them up right now by being bigger chairs and chair service and trying to make you buy your assigned seat and stuff. So it doesn't stop an idiot from making a ton of noise behind you. But the art of the world has been categorically defunded and made sort of obsolete. You know, why is Apple able to surcharge you um, 60% over what the competition charges when the competition runs faster, isn't patched to go slower, 
How is that? Because they're riding the last sort of bastion of design. Well, this looks better. This feels better. And in some cases, the operating system does function a little bit better than, say, Windows or something like that. I had to go and teach my daughter's art class when she was a kid in grade school because they weren't teaching it. They had no one qualified to teach it. None of the teachers were artists. I've said this story a couple times on the show. I started teaching kids how to draw, and the teachers were all into it. And I sat and watched a phenomenon. Tiny 8-year-olds to 12-year-olds were drawing what I was drawing on the board, which was how to draw a human face. And I taught them how to change the hair and how to change things to make a whole different person. And they were nailing it because I got a technique. Now, the teachers, and I'm just going to say it, these fat broads in the back, okay, which they manage their life the way their body looks, right? They're back there and they can't do it. And I remember one woman, I'm not even talking to her. I'm not even involving the teachers in the class. But she looks at her thing and realizes she, I guess, lacked the aptitude to pay attention to the line-by-line logic of creating a face. The kids are just eating this up, man. They haven't had their minds closed yet, right? I just hope some of them kept going. But she looks at her thing, she goes, oh my God, mine doesn't look like anything. Next time I came to teach, they kicked all the kids out. Now I had to register my class, my curriculum, had to get a TB shot to teach this class, right? Tuberculosis shot. They knew exactly, I had this time set aside inside the school, approved by the school board. Those ladies sent the kids out on recess five minutes before I got there. Now, funny thing was, I start walking in and I'm Pied Piper and all these kids in. I'm not even saying, hey kids, come on, let's do the class. I don't have to say anything. They're like, the guy's here. He's going to teach us how to draw. Let's go. And they all came back in the class and I just saw the disappointment in these old broads, and they went another round. Luckily, I did get the the bulk of the basic first phase of the class done, so these kids should be able to draw faces for the rest of their lives and change everything up, change the race, change the sex, everything. But by the third class, I got there, and they pushed the birthday celebration for two different kids right on top of my hour. So what's the kid going to do? Half the kids were looking at me stressed, like, what the fuck, you know? And who's going to turn on two cakes in the room with toys and all kinds of other crap? Now, I should have petitioned. I should have kicked their ass. I should have gone to the school board. I should have got them in trouble. For whatever reason, I didn't think that through very much. I was so pissed off. I never went back, and they never got another class. I should have, but it was just like, they're going to keep fucking with me. What am I going to do? But you want to know why? Our world is so goddamn ugly, putting out some choice words here for you. It's because the the have-nots won't let there be any haves. But it's also to make sure that when totalitarianism comes in and you're living in that THX 1138 world, well, it wasn't overnight. It was a slow boil of society down to complete and utter ignorance of functionality over artistry. It's my favorite thing to say nowadays, but... When they say that you're made in God's image, the, the, the smallest word you can use for God is a creator. We are creators. That's the image they're talking about. It ain't he's got five fingers and all this other stuff. Don't worry about it, Mormons. It's your creator. You will never feel more satisfied and amazing 
then when you use your form to create anything in this world, anything, a piece of wood that you carve, you can, you can carve a soap bar and feel amazing. You can write a piece of poetry. You can be creative in a technical way. Sometimes I write the most pretty code in the world. I look at it and go, wow, that's really pretty. Creators, it's, it's the, the gift from God is that creation is everywhere in every category of everything. You probably stack uh, sticks when you were a kid and looked at the stack sticks. And you go, look at that, man. I did that. I stacked that. You know, remember we just took dirt when we were kids and we made a pyramid, a mud pie or whatever. It felt amazing because you created something. AI is going to usurp the ownership of creativity through these engines, but only because man doesn't do anything anymore. Why are these guys in Hollywood getting paid so much money? Because they're the last dying breed of kids who didn't have some addiction to maybe video games or other things to pull them away from learning a trade skill, right? Trade skills are the only skills in the entire world. Everything else is BS. Now, eventually, this is going to seem maybe like a bit of a stretch, but now you ever, you ever notice that, you, well, I'm sure every guy that's listening to me knows this, but there are supercars and there's regular cars. And then there's sort of the cars in between. The more poor you are, the more you get a functional vehicle. The more wealthy you get, you sort of, before you get super duper, sort of Bill Gates rich, you're not quite going to buy the Lamborghini, right? You're going to maybe get a Mercedes or a BMW, but you're upgrading from the car that is nothing more than A to B vehicle, right? Cars are the worst investments on planet Earth. That's just the truth, right? And they're designed to suck you dry no matter what you buy. But when a car is 15, 20 grand, you don't care. You just water it up and throw it away and get yourself a new one. It shouldn't be like that, but I think that's the way it is. But now... There are exotic cars out there that when men at least look at them, I think we get them because we think women also have the same uh, experience that we have. We're just more allowed about it. You look at a certain design of a car and you're like, oh my gosh, that is just the most gorgeous shape for my brain. And there's a method to it, right? There's a reason why Lamborghini is selling uh, like hotcakes around the world. It's almost getting to the point where that that car, any one of the cars they make is kind of like, yeah, whatever. seems like every kid owns one now. It's like the Corvette used to be really cool. And now it's just this over-designed, weird thing that just means old man. Doesn't matter how young you are, you're driving an old man car. But let's say, I don't think this is going to be the case, but let's just say there's still a place for artistry after AI takes everything over. Let's say they don't, keep destroying the sense of art. I do think art for some people doesn't exist. And that's what we call what Steve Jobs, uh, I think very accurately said, you know, but the difference between he and Bill Gates was that he had style. He was born with it. Bill Gates doesn't have style. will never know it. And he wasn't born with it. I think we can easily say that's a very true statement, but there's, you know, there's a group of people out there that get it. Doesn't mean you have to like everything he likes, but you have your own version of style. I don't think it would be more than a year if you took AI and pointed it at style and simply said, traditionally, over time, these shapes of a car, of a piece of clothing, of a house, of a plane, or whatever it is, a coffee mug, television set, 
these have sold better to people who are more wealthy, who are more discerning about style than any other shape that's out there. So why don't you learn the shapes, AI? Learn all of the negative space. Learn how it flows from front to back. Try to understand how the mind is actually digesting this. It will never know what the soul is doing to appreciate something. But it will algorithmically predict a, I would say, sufficient design to make you go ooh and ah eventually. But will AI ever become a dirty word? I think everybody knows the answer to that. Nobody knows uh, right now what's coming. And the, you know, there's different analogies. There's probably two different analogies I'll give you. There's AI knowledge and capability in a very functional sense, like writing your own code, writing your code for you and getting apps written and maybe engineering a plane. And then there's the artistic side of it. The artistic side is, it's going to get old fast because that's what we do with society. We're moving so quickly through patterns and trends. Believe me, what's cool today will be, eh, that's that AI stuff, right? The jump in technology to create sort of the dolly image like I've said before, this is like caveman who's maybe just mastered the wheel and fire creation, having someone pull up in a UFO, walk out the door with the key and goes, yeah, that thing will take you anywhere you want in, in space and time. Just go in and tell it wherever you want to go. Even though you're a caveman, you can't understand it. That's what it can do. See you later. That's the jump in AI created art that's happened in the last 24 months. It's nothing shy of that. It's unbelievable. Still makes a few mistakes. I actually got a piece of art to come out today where a kid was sitting like me like this and his head was going the other way, which really reveals a little bit of its technique because it's not, it's not using perfect 3D models. There'd be no point where a head would be rotated 180 degrees back if it wasn't sewing this thing together in stages. That was very weird to see that. But obviously the dirty word's going to come around when it starts taking jobs away in the tens of thousands. And somehow, and believe me, every single day these things we don't normally talk about, which is why this show has value to you, trust me, they're hoping that we don't have any communication with each other. They're hoping that social media has destroyed your ability to communicate with another human being outside of a hostile exchange about being triggered with something absolutely irrelevant to your life, right? They want you to be sort of uh, bashful about starting a conversation with another human being because what you get online with all these sort of keyboard warriors, right? You think that's going to happen. You Pavlonianly think that's going to happen in your real life so you don't talk to anybody when it's not the case. You have inflection of your voice when you talk and you can be calm about disagreeing with something and everyone's cool with it. It's going to go in stages. They're going to push it as far as they can Look about look at like gasoline prices or petrol prices in Europe. What do they do? They push it to a level that is just shy of a revolution within a country. You get all pissed off. You talk about it. And of course, they'll put it up like what in the United States, they almost pushed it to three times the amount of money that it was four years ago. And then they pull it back half of that and you get stuck with this giant increase in cash another 100%, $3 gas is now $6 gas, and you're like, oh, well, at least it's not $9. Wow. We are an instrument, and they are playing us like fools. And again, 
the more low vibration that we get, the more they get what they want. You wonder, I said this in my Alien episode, you wonder why a documentary will go and talk to people who have had extraordinary circumstances happen in their life, and there's barely an interview about those circumstances. They're they're publishing uh, a program on TV that makes you believe that that subject has been covered at ad nauseum, right? Well, I already saw the doc. I don't need to, don't talk to me about anything else. But in the end, if you go, okay, hypothetically, if you, if I put a gun to your head and asked you one, one millimeter of depth in a conversation beyond what you saw in that documentary, would you have a response for me? Or do, would you concede you never learned anything from that documentary, except that this extraordinary event was claimed to have occurred and you have no follow-up. But the people who were there are being interviewed and no hard questions, all softball questions, carrying a narrative forward, right? That's your world. So you owe it to yourself to have these conversations with everybody you can. They're interesting. They're fun. You can start them off fun. I do 3D modeling for interior designers. So they have an idea. There's a property there most of the time, and we're going to change it. Uh, in a in a ideal situation, I got a blank room, and they're going to build everything in it. I've done that too. But I took uh, one of the designers, and I put her in front of a computer, and I said, you know, have you seen this generate artwork? No, but I heard it's doing some pretty amazing stuff. Okay. So they had that much knowledge before the conversation started. I said, well, uh, take the property that you just assigned me here. Why don't you give me whatever terms might, you know, create a design for what, what you're going for? She gave me like eight terms, all, all interior design terms, period terms, all this other stuff. Hit return. Ten seconds later, an image pops up. Uh, the first thing out of her mouth was WTF, all spoken out, right? Literally in shock at what we were looking at. So we rebaked this image probably six times, just constantly changing it, constantly upgrading it. And we're seeing like this, this almost 70s mall with a craftsman uh, twist to it. We wanted a big round window in it and it's blowing out the, and it's Southern California. We said Southern California coastal. I put the word warm in there. Like, and it was making the sun just barely setting that magic hours. Everything's gold and cool. It's got the reflections off the window. It has all of the furniture properly specified for that period, like real chairs that really exist in the world. You could actually buy them and specify them. All the interiors of these rooms were all full of all kinds of cool stuff. We even took one living room and said, uh, acid trip. It was amazing. I'll, I'll put it in the uh, video. It is going to replace designers to an extent, right? So these housewives or people that want to redo a property are going to simply learn how to, there's going to be an interface made, okay, that basically has all these as drop downs. You're going to fire that into the interface and you're going to get back all kinds of uh, po potential possibilities. And then you can hand that to an architect and say, this is the way I want it to look, Go. And the architect, which is not a, necessarily a creative, doesn't necessarily have a creative division or they're not creative themselves, pow, they know exactly what board and bat to put on the outside, what chairs to specify, what colors to use. They can uh, put it in their 3D software, bake it back to the client, and the client goes, make it happen, make it so, and boom, 
the designers are cut out. And that's, that's a billion dollar industry, just flushed down the drain. So what can the designers do? The designers can get ahead of the curve. They can be the ones that go into the engines and figure out the possibilities, still get paid for specifying and finding the furniture. That's one of the toughest things. You can see furniture that you like, and it's like, hey, lady, um, this is a classic 50s chair that you saw in your rendering. This thing's like $2,000 a pop because they don't make them anymore. We can have them knocked off, hope we don't get caught by the people in the copyright for it. But designers know how to find the next equivalent thing that still matches the finishes and all this other stuff. But any designer that ignores this capability for 2024, if they are still in business by 2025, it'll be a little bit of a miracle. And every single year that goes by, it's going to be exponentially more likely that they're going to be completely wiped out of the industry. And it won't be that a human being wouldn't do a better job and think about things being combined that haven't been combined. But if you tell ChatGPT to combine two things that have never been combined, it'll figure it out. And hey, it's only 10 seconds if you need another iteration on the image. These are real issues of December 2023, okay? So take a look at what you do for a living. If you're saying, oh, I know a bunch of academia, I know a bunch of black and white stuff. I'm not a creative person, but I'm going to stay in business because I'm an engineer. I'm a scientist. I'm this, I'm that. Well, you better be the difference there between simulation and reality. Maybe if you're a chemist and you're really doing things that just take sheer trial and error and they can't build a bunch of robots to build arrays of you know mixtures to make sure they can find every possible thing that can happen. I was working for folding at home at Stanford University in 2000, where the, we're folding proteins, okay, with algorithms to figure out how to create protein blockers to stop protein diseases from killing people. I didn't write the algorithm or anything like that, but this, this dude, Dr. Panja, he figured it out. He figured out how to simulate something that folds at two times the speed of light in a computer, <laughs> okay? So that's a long time ago. That's like a whole millennia ago when it comes to computers and artificial intelligence. We have, uh, he has this, you know, it was the array of computers. You could put this product on your computer. It was running in PlayStations too. To run overnight and simulate all this stuff to just borrow from everyone else's computer power. Okay, that does, that's cool. But with AI, you could probably cut it way, way short just by doing it smarter. Just teach the AI what you're trying to do and what indications you're looking for before and after folds to see if the fold actually happened properly. So you're going to want to find a niche if you're young, especially. And again, if you have kids, you need to be passing this on to kids, right? If you're in your 40s or 50s and you're watching me all the time, but you've got kids or grandkids, they have no concept of the meteorite that's coming at their lives, and so it's not like they're not going to find their way in the world potentially, but do you want the system to help them find their way? That's like following lemons off, uh, lemmings off the side of a mountain. I know they really don't do that, but let's just keep, keep the metaphor there. Uh, I don't think the system is really trying to help human beings at this point. We could change that, but we'll have to change our thinking. We're going to have to come from low vibration to high vibration. And while we're there, we're going to have to have all the faculties and all the facts on the tip of our tongue to make sure that we don't get liquidated as human beings. You know, you got the head of the world bank,
basically making a video saying human beings should just cease to exist or at least be brought down to a tiny reservoir just to simply enjoy the spoils of robots? Hmm. I mean, what could the World Bank finance? I don't know. Jeez. Everything you could possibly imagine. And once you really know who they are, it's like, uh, what was it? Uh, Prince Philip said in his uh, 1990 memoir that if he could be reincarnated, he would come back as a virus and wipe away 99% of the world. Hmm. Sounds like a very level-headed guy that has your best interest at heart. And I'm sure he's the only guy at that level that believes the exact same thing, right? You know, got a lot of property in the, in the ocean, I want to sell you. So anyway, I wanted to touch base with the subject matter. I am investigating this daily. So I'm looking for debuting technologies, claims versus reality. I'm using the technology in an artistic way, and I'm using it in a scientific way to generate all kinds of different levels of coding. It, it never ceases to blow my mind every single day that I use it for a particular solution. There's no day I don't go to bed going, oh my God, this is, a, this is unbelievable. And I've been highly technical my entire life, highly artistic my entire life. And if I haven't done it personally, I have been fortunate in my life to be surrounded by the best artists and the best thinkers on this planet and I'm still with my jaw on the ground half the time. So if that, that's my biggest caution to you is like, this is for real. And this is here. I don't know if that's what Elon Musk was talking about when he put out that, that little wimpy statement where he said, oh, I've seen AI that, you know, terrifies me, but he never said what it was. I mean, what kind of asshole does that, right? Tell us what you saw, bro. Could be this. Why he couldn't articulate it one step further. And again, keep the narrative going, but don't explain anything. Right? That's, that's that formula right in your face. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the episode. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what your experiences are with AI. Don't tell me ChatGPT is stupid because that's all. the only thing it's going to do is remove all doubt about yourself. It is not stupid. If you haven't been to deepthoughtsradio.com, please go. Everything's up there. To the Patreon and PayPal folks, thank you so much. You make it happen. Take care of yourself and someone else, and I'll see you in the next Deep Thoughts. Over and out.